Who remembers what we talked about last week? Dominoes. And what do you remember about dominoes? They fall over. The momentum. The momentum of a small domino can knock over a domino one and a half times its size. And if you keep repeating that, then you can knock over some big dominoes at the end. Now, the reason I got you to do that, the reason I'm asking that question is we showed a video last week of the world record of knocking dominoes over. And you remember the last one to go down was huge compared to the one at the bottom. Uh, we can't show you again that week because we, we can't get the screen to work and it's not ours. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get it for, for next week. But the idea is this, that something that is small can actually achieve something that is big. And we looked at that in terms of individuals last week. We looked at that in terms of individuals last week. Now, I want to shift it this week, and I want to look at it in terms of a body, the church, a church. You see, there's a question that has been nagging at me, and I've been thinking about a lot, is can a church that is small do something that is huge? Can something that is uh, small achieve something that is a big change around it? And the answer to that is... But we need to be convinced of that because often as, as Christians, when we get absorbed by social media and the internet and all the rest of it, we can think that actually you need to be something huge or put on a big conference or create a big movement in order to achieve anything. That's really interesting because that's the way the world thinks. And, and as, as church goes, we've started to think like that now. If only we were a bit bigger. Now, I'm believing we are going to be bigger, but we get bigger because lives get changed and people get impacted. We don't get bigger because we put on an event. Because we want to grow for the kingdom. And in order for us to do that, in order for us to think the way the kingdom thinks, because we're talking about shifting the way we think, we need to understand that in kingdom terms, small is actually really powerful when it's connected with God. And so I'm going to look at, at, at this domino principle that you find in scripture. I mean, that's what I call it. Other people call it other things. Um, and how that applies to a church. So you might want to turn in your Bibles to um, Acts chapter 16. I'm going to start somewhere else, but I'm going to get into Acts chapter 16 in a minute. Because I'm going to take us back to the verse that we started all this with last week, which is Mark chapter 4, verse 31. Remember, Jesus, what he's trying to do is he's trying to train people to do the things of the kingdom. So he's trying to train his disciples to do the things that he was doing. And in doing that, he wants to show them principles about how the kingdom of God works. And, and so he explains to the, them this principle. To what can I compare the kingdom of God? How do I illustrate it to you? 
That's a good question, isn't it? How, do you, how am I going to explain the, king, the way kingdom of God works to Faith Life Church this, this morning? Well, I'm going to say what Jesus said, that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. So say tiny. 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 But, say but. Say big but. Big but. Now, it's important that you get the but there. But. You see, a small, something small is going to do something much, more, much bigger. But after it's planted, it grows. To be the largest of all the garden plants and all the birds of the air come and rest in its branches. That's, that's this idea of the domino principle. In that it, the way the kingdom works is it starts small, but the effect of it grows if it's not stopped. It, it, once you plant the original thing, it has a momentum attached to it to achieve so much more. And so when we start to shift our minds to think of the church like that, we can see that however small or big a church has, it can achieve so much more than its own size. Because what we have to do is just kick the momentum. We just have to start the domino and keep our faith engaged so that we don't dig it up again. So that, that's the basic principle. Now I want to show you how that works in the context of a church. And thankfully, we have the Bible that talks about all sorts of different churches. And often, when we're looking at individual things, we can miss um, the, the big picture. So I'm going, to, I'm going to run through the story of a church this morning. And I'm going to pick on a particular church, and it's called the Church at Philippi. Have you heard of the, the letter to the Philippians? It was a letter that Paul wrote to this church after he was el went elsewhere on his, on his missionary journeys. Now... How does this story start? Well, the story starts with the fact that Paul wanted to do something else completely. Paul had in mind, and he had a plan, and he had a, he had a scheme, and uh, he thought it all through. He had his strategy, and he was going to next go to this, an area which is, we now know as northern Turkey. So he was heading there. And we don't know how this happened, but presumably it happened while he was praying and listening to God. And it says the Holy Spirit stopped him going there. So Paul came up with what? He came up with another plan. And he'd go somewhere else. And it said the Holy Spirit prevented him going there too. Now, I don't know what that, that means precisely, but he was really clear that God was telling him that's not what the plan was. And in order to have had that clarity, he must have been praying and he must have been listening to God. So the first thing we can learn is if we're going to engage with the way the kingdom works, we have to root that in prayer and listening to God. Because we can have our own plans and our own ideas that, that sound great, look great, maybe grow us and get us bigger, but it doesn't achieve the end goal which is to knock over the big domino right down the line all it does is achieve something here now so what happens what happens is this paul has a vision which he recognizes from the holy spirit 
And he, he, in this vision, this guy, or the, a man comes and stands in front of him, a man from Macedonia. I'll tell you where that is in a minute. And he comes in this vision, he says, we need you over here, Paul. We believe God's sending you here, will you come? And Paul decides that he's going to go to Macedonia because he recognises that that is from God. So where's Macedonia? Macedonia is underneath the bottom of Europe on the way around towards Greece, but you haven't quite got to Greece. It, it, I, I don't know what the countries are called now because they change the name all the time. But it's in that area where all the little countries are that change the name all the time. You think they're going to be rubbish at football, but they actually beat England. You know, it, it's that sort of area. And in this area, he, he goes to this place called Philippi. So let's have a look at what happens. Acts chapter 16. Because I want to bring some principles out of this that enable us to see and grow in hope. And, and belief that we can see something beyond the size of this church achieved by this church. Rather than looking and saying, if only we were a bigger church, we could do something. Well, one day we might be a bigger church, but right now we can do something. And we can keep on doing something that makes a bigger impact. So, what does Paul do? He responds to this vision that he's had from this this uh, man from Macedonia, and it says, what did he do? He set sail straight away from this place called Troas. We ran straight on course to Samothrace. Don't object to my pronunciation if you understand Greek names, because I have no clue what these are called, really. The next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And they were staying there, and they stayed there for some days. They stayed there for quite a while before any, anything much happened. But what we need to see is this, that they went to this place called Philippi. Now, because of Philippi, where it was, in that bit between the main uh, centres of Europe, Greece, Rome, and so on, and the rest of Asia, it sat on a strategic trade route. And so it was, although it wasn't a big place, it was a place where people came and went all the time. They, they would come, they would base their businesses there for a little while and they would move on and go somewhere else. The traders would come in, they'd stop off there, they'd exchange goods, they'd move on. And, and it, it was a very influential place, even though it was a small place, but it was very strategic. And that's why it says it was a colony. It was a colony because... Basically, uh, Alexander the Great's father had planted this place. And then Rome, when they took it over, made it the uh, capital of that region, even though it was a small town, uh, because of that importance. Now, that, that's a bit like Cambridge. You know, if you compare Cambridge to the size of uh, London or Manchester or Birmingham, Cambridge is tiny. You know, it's not a big city. But its influence is worldwide. That's why it's important that God has a strong body of people in, in the churches in Cambridge. Because it is such a strategic place. And people come and go all the time. You know, half the population of Cambridge moves in and out within three years. It's that sort of place. 
There's, there's such a flux. And because of that, it has the potential to be hugely influential. So if we can influence people when they're here, they can take that influence to other places. And so um, we should be encouraged by that because this little city called Philippi is actually uh, a city that God uses to influence the church right across the, the civilized world at that time. And in a way that that, that church wouldn't have expected. They wouldn't have expected to have the influence they had, and particularly in the area they had it, which I'm going to explain. So we can, we can look at ourselves and go, well, what can we do? Well, actually, what we can do is within us. It's what God has brought together to do what we are good at and to do what we are strong in. He hasn't called us to do something somebody else does. He's called us to do what faith life is called to do. And what you guys are called to do is part of faith life. So let, let's move on a bit. So let's move, move on to the next verses. So got, just going back, he said they stayed there for a while. And, and what they did is that they, they, they were following those instructions that Jesus gave and we talked about over the summer in Luke 10, which is they found somewhere... That they, that where people were receptive to them, and they stayed. They didn't like just flip from person to person to person. They stayed where they were received. Now, after they'd been there and they'd been praying for a while, they're just going about their normal routine. So this is Paul and the people who are with him. There's uh, Timothy and Silas, I think it is at this time. And it says, On the Sabbath day, they went out of the city to the riverside, where they were supposing there would be a place to play pray now that's really interesting because most places they go when Paul went somewhere he found a building and the usual building he found was the synagogue and basically when they weren't using it uh, for their religious practices he would move in he'd start by talking to the Jews and he'd expand out from this base in the synagogue that was his strategy given to him by God but there's no synagogue in Philippi there's just a few Jews who, who were based there so he finds them and he goes down and prays and he finds out that they're praying next to the riverside. And he sits down and he speaks to them. And what does he do? He says he spoke to the women there. Now, what that tells us, and sorry about this, girls, but in those days, he's basically saying there's no guys who are Christians or Jews here. There's only some female Jews. So I'm going to go pray with them because I want to be around people who, who want to know about God and, and are on the same page as me. So he goes there and, and he meets somebody and this person he meets is actually going to affect the known civilization of that time. And she's a lady called Lydia. You go like, haven't it? How's she affect the non-civilization? Well, wait and see. Because remember, Paul and the kingdom are in the business of kicking over dominoes. And so in a minute, we're going to see a domino hit. And we're going to see what happens. But it starts with this lady, Lydia. Why is Lydia famous? Lydia is the first European to become a Christian. She's our ancestor in Christianity, the first European. And 
this lady, Lydia, heard them. So she's, she's sat around. She's, she's hearing them talk. And she is a seller of purple cloth from another city called Thyatira. And it says she worshipped God. Well, what she actually did is she hung around with the Jews and she was really interested in God. It's not that she was a believer at that point. But as she listens to Paul, she becomes a believer. And it says the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and, and, and when she and her, so she basically believes at that point, she and her household get baptized. She begged them, uh, basically, come to our house and stay. And she pleads with them, come back like you've been hanging out in, in tents and places and you've been praying and you've been coming down to the riverside because there's nowhere for you to stay. Come and base yourself with us. A church is born with one lady and her household. Okay, so it's a small church at this point. So what do we see in terms of the principles we've been talking about? Well, firstly, we see Paul following through what Jesus taught them to do, which is to pray and then find people where that peace rested, people that he connected with. And what we see is this, that he meets her where she is. He goes to where she is. And he meets her by talking about the things from the point of where she was. Not assuming anything, but connecting with her and putting that time in to do that. And we find that as a result of that, the Holy Spirit opened her heart so she could see. What else do we remember about that pattern that Jesus taught us in order to reach people? He said, if anybody offers you hospitality, you go and eat with them and you stay with them. So she says, come stay with me. What's Paul's response? I'm coming to stay with you. And that, that's how things get birthed. It, the, the effect of the kingdom of God comes through relationship. And, and it's not contrived, it's genuine. We... we, we, we uh, aiming at having real relationship and sharing real hospitality and food and time with people and then genuinely caring about them. Not in order to get them saved, but in order that we actually genuinely care about them. <laughs> and we, we love them and they love us and we spend time together. You see, often we're too agenda-driven and we try and rush God when actually he's already showed us how to do it. Now, what we're going to get here is this little church that's just been born is going to push over a domino. And because of that, the world gets changed. So you go on the next verses, verses 16 to 18. And the enemy, the, king, the other kingdom, recognises it's got a problem. Somebody is sat there and goes, Houston, Hades, you have a problem. So they send somebody to try and mess things up. But they send it in a way that's really subtle. 
Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us. Basically, uh, she, was telling, she was reading people's lives and telling them their futures. Who brought her masters. So basically, the, she, she's, she's, she's a sideshow. She's, she's doing this. She's doing it for money. And people are living off her earnings. So she's well known. She's famous in the area. And she's acting under uh, demonic influence, under the spirit of divination, to earn money for her and the people who own her. And this girl, and she follows Paul and cries out, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. What's wrong with that? It's right, isn't it? These are servants of the Most High God and they proclaim to the way of salvation. What's the problem here? Well, the problem might be that the way that that works is slightly different. Most translations will actually say a way of salvation. Okay? So these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us a way of salvation. In other words, this isn't the only way. Now, even if you don't go for that, which personally I don't, but I throw, throw it in there because some of you are very learned and and like to read these things and worry about these things. So I'm, I'm doing the bit of throwing it out there. But even if that's not right, you go, so what's the tactic that's happening here? Because what Paul does is he actually ends up delivering her from this spirit. He actually turns around after she's been doing this. It says basically he got fed up of it, turned around and delivered her. There we go. Oh, there. After she did this for many days, Paul, greatly annoyed... If somebody was following me around saying, Mark, you're the servant of the Most High God proclaiming to everybody the way of salvation, why would I be annoyed? Okay. We have to understand the spirits behind the actions. If we don't understand the spirits behind the actions, we miss the agenda behind the actions. Paul understands the spirit behind the action, and so he sees the agenda behind the action. And when you see it, it's obvious. And what did he do? He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the demon came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace and took them to the authorities. So, this little church has gone from the point of being a little church to a place where it's actually the key people in that are now before the authorities are going to get locked up in prison. Because this spirit has been crying out, these are the servants of the Most High, who show us the way to salvation. What's the, what, why did that happen? You see, this lady and her masters continued to practice witchcraft at the same time as they were declaring that. And the enemy is often subtle. And so there is guilt by association. You see, this spirit was destroying the reputation of Paul and that little church by undermining it and connecting it to demonic activity that was known as demonic activity. Demonic activity. 
And what happened was that the, the, the church, in the eyes of the, the, the Jews, in the eyes of the people there, it was basically saying, it's, everything's okay. Everything leads to the same conclusion. There's nothing different about this God to any other God because it's all mixed in. Like I'm, I'm saying that this God is fantastic. Just listen to what's coming out of my mouth. And that's okay. I can carry on practicing my witchcraft. I can carry on doing all this other stuff. Doesn't make any difference. It's all all right. Does that start to ring any bells with how we are these days? Everything's all right, isn't it? If you want to do it, you do it. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to say anything. It's okay to, to say how fantastic we all are and then not have any difference in our lives. And Paul says, no, because that brings the kingdom into disrepute and stops the growth of the kingdom. So he deals with it. And the outcome of dealing with it is he gets locked up. What's Paul and that little church just done? By delivering that one person, they have knocked over a domino. And you're going to see a chain of events now that is going to result in another church being planted somewhere else that is hugely influential. And then you're going to see what Philippi does in relation to that. So, let me tell you about Philippi this town where we just got knocked over. I'm telling you a bit of a story this morning. It's, so just go with it. You know? Are we all sitting comfortably? Then I'll continue. So Philippi is a town of about six, 7,000 at that time. And it's just up the coast from a big city called Thessalonica. And this church in Philippi that gets started, first convert Lydia, grows to the huge number, according to historians, of never gets bigger than about 75 to 100. It never is ever a big church. Isn't that unusual? Because we think in order to do anything, You've got to be big and have lots of money. And because of that, we're not as confident as we should be. But you don't have to be. What you have to be is faithful. And attach faith to what you hear. That's very different from being big. It can be big, it can be small. It doesn't really matter, that's God's problem. Philippi becomes known as the church that is full of joy and full of hope. The letter to the Philippians is probably the most hopeful letter that Paul wrote. It talks to them about how they've got joy, whatever comes along. They're, they're, basically, they're, they're basically just stand and stand in faith and, and enjoy seeing the kingdom come to pass, even though they're suffering huge difficulties themselves. Now, even though it's a little church, it did big things for the kingdom. Because when we, when we go forward in time, there's, there's, a, there's something that happens where you see that the reputation of this church for standing as people of faith 
who live life with knowing that the kingdom is superior and knowing that they can live in joy, the joy that only God can give, you see that that reputation actually affects the church worldwide. And it affects different people. And this church, it was small and it didn't have a lot of money. Lydia was probably the wealthiest person in the church. She was a dealer in cloth. Purple cloth is rich cloth in those days. But most of them were just people who were like slaves that had been set free, people that, that hauled goods back and forwards across this uh, road and people who just set established themselves there to serve the caravan and horse and chariot trade. It was a really poor church. Now, what, what's interesting about that is that Paul uses this church to establish some principles that he wants all churches to understand. And he says, you remember that small church in Macedonia, them guys at Philippi? Well, I'm going to talk to you, and he's, he's writing to the Corinthians at the time, he said, I'm going, to write, I'm going to talk to you, Corinthians, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that church. And I'm going, to, I'm going to get you to understand that you aren't doing the work of the kingdom. Because you guys in Corinth think you're fantastic, you're full of all these spiritual gifts, you've got this massive rich church, and yet these guys in Philippi, this little church, they're putting you to shame. And I'm going to tell you why. And he, and he writes to them, and this is what he says. And this is 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5. I'm not, I'm not sure I put them on the slide. I, didn't, I, I intended to read it anyway. Now, so he's writing to the church in Corinth. Big church, lots of money, thinks it's fantastic, believes it's got everything. It's got a program for everything. It's got a spiritual gift for everything. And, and basically, it's got stacks of money. And this is what he writes to them. Paul is taking a collection around all the churches he's planted to support people who are starving to death in Jerusalem at the time. And this is what he says. Now, brothers, I wish to make it known to you the grace of God which has been given to the church in Macedonia, Philippi. That in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy... And from their deep poverty overflowed the wealth of their generosity. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favour of participation in the support of the saints. So basically, Paul has gone to them and said, guys, you can't afford to do this. You, you've got nothing. You, you, like, you, you've got nothing. You, you, you're a little church. You can't afford to do this. Some of these bigger churches like Corinth and Thessalonica, they need to deal with this. You've got nothing. And the church in Macedonia goes, in, in Philippi says, no, we want to play our part. We want to be part of this. We want to do everything we can to see the kingdom come to pass. And, and, and they've got that attitude in their hearts. I will do anything I can to see God's kingdom come in this place. 
And, 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 and Paul is saying that's the attitude we all should have. We will do everything we can and give whatever we have of time, life, energy, money to see the kingdom come to pass. And, and he's saying this to the church in Corinth because he, he, he then goes, and, and it wasn't as we expected, but they first gave themselves to, our, to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And he's basically saying that the issue here, guys, isn't about money. The issue here is, have you given yourself wholeheartedly to God? Are you playing at being this Christian? Are you, are you doing the, the Sunday morning thing where you come in, you put some money in the offering, and you go away again, and you go, we're a fantastic church, we're really rich, we're great, we've got all these buildings, we're, we've got all these people, we've got all the money, and you, nothing's happened in your heart. And Paul is saying, I'm telling you about this church in Philippi because that is how you have to be. Because you've given yourselves first to God. And out of that flows that I will do anything to see the kingdom come. I want to play my part. And he's saying that to this, this big church in Corinth and saying, guys, this is an example. Are, are, you, with, are, you, are you getting it? So this little church in Philippi is held up as an example to the big church in Corinth, the rich church of what to do. So Paul's actually saying this church has been more effective than you are, guys, because they're following through on what they believe instead of just building a church. So the, the lesson for us in that is that we need to follow through on stuff. We, we, we can't just come on a Sunday morning and it not affect other stuff and not affect our life. Like, I, I just think you gave amazingly generously for, for, for our size of church. That is fantastic. At, at what? Two weeks notice. And, and you were able to give to that extent that Paul talked about this morning. That is amazing. That's just incredible. So I'm not necessarily talking to you this morning, but I want you to understand that a small church can have a big impact by the way it behaves and the way it lives. And, and our priority isn't to look and go, what size of church are we this Sunday morning? Our priority is to say, what do people see in us the rest of the week? Because that's what will knock the dominoes over. So, that was an aside. Now, coming back, where, where have we left Paul? We left Paul in jail with his mates. Um, verse 20, chapter 16, back in Acts. And when they brought them to the chief magistrates, he said, these men, these men... now." these men so three men three men are throwing our entire city into confusion that's kind of cool isn't it so let's count up how many people here and we'll include the kids because they can create confusion with no efforts whatsoever the impact we should be having as we step out in the kingdom is that the world should see that there is stuff happening around us. Not, not organised stuff, supernatural stuff, life-changing stuff. 
And so they exceed, it's amazing, isn't it? Three guys and a bunch of women who don't even come from that city are causing exceeding trouble. I want Faith Life to be known as a church that causes exceeding trouble in Cambridge. And so are we up for it? Yeah? Cause exceeding trouble. We, th there should be a reaction. If we're not getting a reaction, we aren't there yet. And, and some of that is about believing that we can be there at the size and numbers we are. I talked about individuals last week, but this week I'm talking to us as a body. So what did they do? They, they, they tore the robes off them. This is off Peter and Silas and, uh, sorry, Paul and Silas and the others. They beat them with rods. Why, why do you beat somebody with rods? Basically, you beat somebody with rods because it bruises the bone. And so anybody who bruised a bone, you know that the pain of that lasts a long time and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. That's what the effect of beating them with rods is. What else have we got? They throw them into the darkest hole in prison. God's words, not mine. So it must have been pretty dark in those days. And they put, just in case these three men get out, they put them in stocks in the darkest hole in the prison in the jail. They're not getting out. Now this is what I want you to understand. At this point, they all have an opportunity to fall back and falter. And I believe that's why we don't see the kingdom in the way we should in this country. Because every time we have an opportunity to fall back and falter, we do. Every time somebody challenges anything about what we believe, we fall back. We moan a lot because we're Christians. But more than that, we moan a lot, lot, lot because we're Christians and British. You see, some of you, 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 you Africans, you want to be British, don't. You'll just end up moaning. Just be happy. Be joyful. Have fun. Show us how it's done. The question isn't, will we face stuff that looks like the kingdom isn't going to work? Because we will. Because... The enemy wants it that way. He's not going to let us just like waltz in and, and do what we want. And the world who wants its own way isn't going to just let us waltz in and do what we want. We're crazy. And, and, and we're not going to put on like a worship meeting and all of a sudden 600 people are going to turn up and fall on the face. It's not like that. Because the church is meant to go out in order to bring in. And so they've got this opportunity to give up. If you don't understand the way the kingdom works, you give up at this point. Because you don't understand that the, once the momentum has been started, that if you don't give up at this point, it cannot be stopped and the big domino is going to fall over at the end. There's only you and us that can stop the kingdom once we've started it. That's why the enemy tries to get at us in order to get us to go, I'm tired. 
It's been a hard week. Oh, it's church this morning. I'm just going to stay in bed. Oh. That's why he does that. That's a simple level. And then he'll chuck stuff at us at work and he'll chuck stuff at us at home and we'll go, oh, it's just too difficult. That's the point. That's what he's trying to do. It is difficult. But we've got to know that, the, that what Jesus taught us is that the kingdom keeps going as long as we don't falter at that moment and eventually we see it, it, it fall over. So what do Paul and Silas do? They, in their prison cell, they, what do they do? What would you do in prison cell, in the stocks, in the darkest hole, in the jail, having been beaten by rods in absolute agony right in your bones? What would you do? You go, what, my mum? <laughs> oh, my dad's bigger than yours. If he was here, he'd show you. <laughs> you know, what do they do? They pray and they sing because they know the kingdom can't be stopped. So they might as well engage with the kingdom rather than leave the kingdom behind and look at themselves. So they pray and sing. What happens? What happens is miraculous. The place shakes, the all the jail doors fly open. Now what would we do if that was us? We get up and scarper and go, oh, these, I'm in pain, but I'm getting out of here. That's absolutely what you would do if you didn't understand that the kingdom can't be stopped. What do they see? They're on their way, because remember, this happened to Peter, like, Ten chapters early, he got busted out of prison, and he went. They get, they're on their way out, and they find a jailer about to slit his throat and fall on his sword with all his family because all his prisoners have escaped. Now, what do we do? We go, oh, I'm really sorry for you, but I'm out of here. <laughs> I, I've got a church to build. They stop for the jailer. Why? Because they're confident in God. And they meet the jailer at his point of need. They pray for him and he and his household get saved. Church just got a whole lot bigger in Philippi. The upshot of it, however, is that, that all the authorities who put them in jail find out everything that's gone on, realise that these guys are still sat in the prison and they haven't escaped, and then they let them go, but they tell them not to come back and not to cause any trouble. What happens? What happens is this, that Lydia, remember Lydia? She comes back and says, guys, you're in no fit state to go anywhere. They're trying to force you out of the city. Come stay with me. So you're Lydia. You've got like one of the only thriving businesses in this town. And you've just invited these guys that the entire city is trying to get rid of into your house to stay. You see, people of the kingdom don't behave in ways that are necessarily rational. They behave in ways that are right. Because they operate from a place of love, not rationality. And you can operate from a place of love when you know that the one who loves you is there backing you up. And he's there with you. And she does. So they go and stay with him, her and, and establish this church in Philippi. 
And they stay with her for a while and then they move on. And they go on to this city, this big city called Thessalonica. And when they get there, when they get to Thessalonica, just watch what happens. We're on chapter 17 now. Now, they travel through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, and they find a synagogue. So they've got the building. We're all right. We've got a building. We can start there. According to Paul's custom, what did he do? He went there, planted himself in it three Sundays. He goes along, and he talks to them about some scripture. Now, let's, let's just scroll down a bit to chapter 5, uh, verse 5. But the Jews in the synagogue, become jealous of Paul. And they, what they do is they stir up and they find a load of wicked, lying people from the marketplace. They gather a mob and they set all the city in uproar. And Paul and Silas and the others go into a hiding in a house of a guy called Jason and the people are all outside and they're trying to bring him out. Again, it's not looking good. It's an, it's an opportunity to hold your hands up and walk away. You see, if you're doing anything for God, there will be a mob of religious people who don't want you to do it because they haven't been able to do it with their religious thinking. And they're jealous because they're seeing you do it. And so that's a natural reaction. And, but it's not a reaction that should stop us. You see, we're accountable to God, not religious people. So what, what happens? So why, why are they so upset? They're upset because they think their city is going to get turned upside down. Remember, they cause an uproar. The reputation somehow has gone from Philippi and it's gone everywhere about what God had done through these few people. And so what happens in verse 6 is they come out with this statement. When they do, so they don't find them. So they drag Jason out, poor old Jason, and some of the brethren to the rulers. And they say, these are those who've turned the world upside down and now they've come here too. That is a great church planting mandate. And that is the effect of one small church that had a reputation for faithfulness and seeing the miraculous and giving of themselves beyond what was normal or, or what was expected and a church like that can create a reputation that goes before it that says these are those these are those who've turned the world upside down so God puts before every church, however big or small, so let's, let's just call it, God puts before Faith Life Church. Do you want to be that church that people say, these are those who turn the world upside down? And if you do, what are you going to do about it as a church body and, and as individuals within that church? What are you going to do? Are you, are, you, are you going to live it and pour out your life for that or are you going to go to church? And it's, it's a simple choice because that doesn't happen without us giving of ourselves first. We laid down our lives for Christ. It's not, it's not a church growth 
thing. I've, you know, I've read loads of books about church girls. This isn't in any of them. It's about a person growth thing and, and, a, and, a, and a church family growth thing as in maturity and stepping into what God has. And it only comes if we're willing to give ourselves first. So I, I'm, I'm finished with that, but I just want to tell you a story because three weeks ago um, I was out uh, doing some ministry in Ukraine. And um, after we'd done the, the first batch, we got on a train and went hours and hours across. Ukraine's a big country of, of countryside that all looks exactly the same because it's completely flat. It's like, it's like, it's like Holland on steroids. <laughs> you know, it is, it's flat. It's just grass everywhere. And, and we went across the country and we went down to about 150 miles from the border with Russia. And we, we went to another church there. And there's a, there's a pastor there uh, called Pastor Volodya and his wife, uh, uh, Sasha. And he'd gone to this town. Uh, it's not a big town, town about 17,000 population, which has an unpronounceable name, which is why I'm not telling you where it is. <laughs> and, and when it's in Cyrillic, it's completely unreadable as well. So we went to this town and he'd gone there and he'd given up his job to go and be a missionary to this town. And he'd initially gone without his family. Uh, and he started there. And basically what, what he did is he started by just getting to know a few people who hung around the, the market square. And he, and he sat and he bought them coffees and he chatted to them. And that's all he did. And he prayed and he chatted to them. And after he'd been there for about three months, one of the people, the authorities, um, who are much more powerful than they are in our country, comes and sees him and gets called into the government offices. And this guy behind, he said, um, it's come to our attention that uh, you're doing stuff in the marketplace. He said, yeah, I am. He said, um, he said well, we've heard that, that people have actually been benefiting from what you've done. And we just were wondering, like, all these other guys, they've got somewhere to have their meetings, the, the, you know, the Russian Orthodox and things, and you've got nowhere to have your meetings. So we'd like to open up the school to you. And, uh, and this lady that, that, that got saved a few weeks ago, she'd been telling us amazing. So we'd like you to uh, find, if you could, help us teaching some of the children, because we're short teachers. So we're going to give you a room in the school on a on a Sunday, and w it, there's an opportunity for you here to get involved with teaching. So Volodya gets his wife to come across, who's a teacher, and they set up the church in the school, and, and she teaches the children. And because uh, she's a really good teacher, they let her teach about God. And the church begins to grow. And as the church begins to grow, this, this little room they've got in the school... So if, if, you, like, if you've seen the films with communist block uh, buildings, it's a communist block building. You, you know, it's falling down. It, you look at it, you go, it's amazing that thing's still standing. Uh, how did they ever think that that was going to work? And, it, and, it, and it's like that. And, it, 
If you were around in 1950s, 1960s Britain, every corridor smells of paraffin heaters. It's that sort of place. And, and, and as they grew, they, they, they couldn't do any more. So anyway, after, after a few years, this guy in, in the government office calls back in and he says, you know, it's not right that, that you don't have a place that's all yours. So if you can find a place, we'll give you permission to make that into a church. I, I'd like that favour from Cambridge Council. <laughs> and so they find a place and they find it and, it, and it's, it's run down and this business uh, man offers to sell them it and it's going to cost them $26,000. Now, that might not sound a lot to us. That is huge in Ukraine. That's a lot of money. Um, and so they... They, they work at it, and over about three or four months, they're paying and raising funds, and they had a gift day, had another gift day, and some money comes in, and they get to about $18,000, and they, got, they, they say to the guy, we can't, we can't get there, we can't get there. And then somebody gives them, gives them the other $8,000. They go back to this building, and they say, you know, we believe that the council wants us to have this building, we can move in here got the $26,000, and they go, actually, the economy's picked up. It's now 60000 and And we've got an offer at 60000 We're not selling it to you. And so they're, they're there. So they're doing this, and then carrying on with the church in the school, uh, blessing people. This lady gets healed who works for the council. She goes in, tells council what's happened, and they go like... Guys, you know, we'd really like, we, we, there's, there's a place over the other side, it's derelict. But this, this guy's wanting to sell it. But it's next to the Baptist church. And so, Volodya goes and looks at this place. And he says, right, okay, we, we'd like that place. And he said, how much do you want for it? And he goes, I want $150,000. Because of where it is, because he could get planning for houses. And he goes, well, sorry, we haven't got that. And so, anyway, he finds out a few months later that what's actually happened, remember, the enemy always comes up with a plan and sometimes it's disguised as something that sounds right. The guy from the Baptist church has seen him looking around with the guy who owns it. And the guy from the Baptist church has come and met with the, the owner of the building immediately as soon as the lodge is gone and said, I saw you looking around with that guy. What's happening? He said, oh, well, they're looking to buy it. And, he said, and this guy from Baptist Church said, you, you, can't, you mustn't sell it to them. If you sell it to them, I'm going to have my whole congregation praying that you and your family and your whole life will be cursed and your finances will collapse and the health of your family will collapse. And I'm going to get my whole church praying if you sell it to them. And we're going to curse you. And you go, thanks, guys. That's really helpful in the kingdom, isn't it? Anyway, two years later, this guy who owns the building comes back to Pastor Vologi and said, my whole business has collapsed. I need to sell this building now. And, he, and you know, but what about the guy? that I just need to sell it. I'm going bankrupt. The whole economy's collapsed. I'll sell it to you. And what? He said, well, I haven't got 150000 He said, well, I'll sell it to you for 60. I need just 60 and I, I, I'm clear. 
And that original 26,000, by that time over the years, had grown to 59,000. And he said, I'll give you 59. And he said, done. And they got the place. But the point is this, that they've now planted four small churches. And they're all small churches. But their reputation across that region, really close to the Russian border, is huge. And they have favour with the government. And, and they're impacting a whole area. There's only about 150 of them tops now. But they're, they're, wherever you go, people know about this place. And they know that people get healed there. They know that lives get changed there. So it's not just a story for Paul. It's a story for everyone. And I'm kind of hoping it'll be our story. And I'm believing it'll be our story. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.